BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. A lot coming up on the program today. I want to start with my rant for the day, which is why the media needs a true reckoning about serving the public good, which is the title of our piece over at HartmanReport.com. Donald Trump is the most corrupt president in the history of the United States. And yet, for the last six years, including the last year of his presidency, he got better press coverage than Joe Biden has for the first year of his presidency. And why is this? Where the hell did this come from? Well, the fact is that our media, particularly our broadcast media, is a business. And it profits when viewership and listenership goes up. And Donald Trump, who NBC spent millions to train as a reality TV star is walking, talking clickbait. Remember Liz Les Moonves back in early 2016 saying, I've never seen anything like this. This is going to be a very good year for us. Sorry, it's a terrible thing to say, but bring it on, Donald. Keep going. May not be good for America, but it's damn good for CBS. Yeah, CBS made profits, NBC, ABC, everything, right across all these networks and media all across the board. And, you know, all we got was this this Donald Trump T-shirt. Well, Donald Trump is a president. So what do we do about this? Well, there's a few people who are calling this out right now, and kudos to them. Dana Milbank over at The Washington Post, Eric Bollert uh, with his newsletter, PressRun.media, Brian Stelter with his show on CNN, Reliable Sources. Um, They have all been pointing out that the media coverage right now of Joe Biden is more negative than the media coverage was for any of Donald Trump's, you know, basically five years, arguably six, in the public eye with regard to this election. And the the sixth being this last year, the first being the year of the primary, 2015. Um, We need to do something about this. You know, I started in news in the 1960s at WITL, and I did the news in the morning and uh, and also I was the, the capital and uh, city uh, police blotter. I was on that beat. I remember when Louise and I went, uh, we were dating at the time, and uh, she, she came with me. We went to interview the mayor of Lansing, Michigan, Jerry Graves, about this new like million dollar piece of art that they had just bought to put in front of the city, city capital or the city, whatever it is, the, you know, the, the, the main city building. And, uh, and, and I asked him, you know, so what does this symbolize? And he goes, 
oh, I don't know, infinity, something like that. You know, <laughs> it was like, we still joke about it, but it's like, Back then, we had to report the news. I had a, a news director. His name was Bob Brakeman. And I was, you know, a, a SDS kind of, you know, hippie and SDS activist. And I wanted to report the news through my perspective. And Bob was like, no, if you work for me, you're just going to report the facts and let people draw their own conclusions. He said, if you ever have your own radio show, then you can, you know, offer your opinion. We had one in the afternoon on WITL. It was one of the three owners of the show guy by the name of Chuck Mefford. He was Chuck Drake on the air. And uh, in fact, I would produce his show from time to time. And he, that was a one-hour opinion show every afternoon. But that was it. So anyhow, but that, that was because we were operating under the Fairness Doctrine. And it was also because the station was locally owned. That WITL at that time was owned by three guys, three middle-class families, who got together and mortgaged their houses to, to, to build this radio station. One was a, a radio sales guy. He'd been working in the business. Another was Chuck. He was an old radio guy. And then there was uh, an engineer. I, I'm, I forget his name. And the three of them, you know, pooled their money and built this radio station. And, and, and you know, back then, every... I, I worked at WITL. I worked at WFMK. I worked at WVIC. I worked at WJIM. I worked at a whole bunch of different radio, and, and WJIM was a TV station. I worked at all of these stations in the late 60s, early 70s. Every single one of them was owned by a local family or a local business that was, you know, basically family-owned. Every single one of them. None of them are anymore, to the best of my knowledge. Why? Because in 1996, Bill Clinton signed the Telecommunications Act of 1996 that blew up the law that required local ownership of radio and TV stations and newspapers. So where are we now? Well, as Dana Milbank notes in the, in the, New York, in the Washington Post, quote, Trump got roughly twice as much coverage in 2020 as Biden has received in 2021. And the coverage of Biden is noticeably more negative than the tone of news coverage overall. Predictably, Breitbart and the New York Post are among the most negative outlets, but even liberal ones such as Huffington Post and Salon have been negative about Joe Biden. And then uh, Eric Bollert sums it up. He says, despite the loud claims from journalists that news outlets were tough on Trump for four years, it's not true. On the flip side, scribes reject the claim that they've been overly harsh covering Biden in recent months, but they have been. And, and, and then Brian Stelter, of course, calls this out on CNN every Sunday. But here's the deal. You know, right now we've got Donald Trump and a Trump faction within the GOP, which is a like 90% of the GOP now, who are openly working to subvert our democracy. I'll get into that in just a moment. And we need access to accurate news and information without spin. I mean, it's fine if you're tuning into like my program. This is an opinion show. I don't pretend it's news. I, you know, I will share the news and I'll give you my opinion on it. You know, and if you don't like it or you disagree, you're welcome to call up and debate it with me. But that's, that's a completely different thing from news organizations that prior to 1987, when we had a fairness doctrine, had to actually report the news. And prior to 1996, outside of the three big networks were locally owned, reporting actual news. These are really dangerous times. And having these news organizations put profits over democracy is a sure path to our ending up like, like Hungary, you know, with Viktor Orban, where he, you know, he, a so-called conservative who is running his country for his oligarch buddies, 
uh, his stations and 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 uh, targeting minorities, and and he has shut down anything resembling a free press in Hungary. You know, we used to have these strict standards because of the fairness doctrine and the ownership rules, and they've been blown up. And frankly, I think that Congress needs to be looking at these things again. They need to be asking the question, should we go back to local ownership rules? Should we be breaking up some of these media monopolies? Is it time for us to revisit the fairness doctrine? Maybe in a brand new form for the 21st century, including electronic media? I think it is. Or at the very least, time to start the conversation. What say you? This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's the place where despair is not an option. And yes, we are working on solutions right here. Kurt in Akron, Ohio. Hey, Kurt, what's up? Hey, Tom. Thank you for taking the call. You know, you're touching on a subject. I'm actually an old-time radio enthusiast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. That's actually my hobby is old-time radio. Um, And I'm not old enough to remember back in the 60s and stuff like that, obviously. But, you know, I listened to some old air air checks of stations Mm -hmm. of historic events like excuse me, the Kennedy assassination out of Dallas or the Kent State shooting from a college radio station known as WKSU. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> it's just amazing how, especially the WKSU stuff, where the students, that was a student-run program or student-run station out right. of Kent State University. Right. And people would call in with their information because they were the quote-unquote official news source for mm-hmm what was going on that weekend back in 1970. And to listen to this real-time stuff going on, of people living this stuff, and people would call in with their information, and they would actually stop. These students would actually stop the callers and say, can you prove it? If you can't, you need to call this number and find out if it's a rumor or if it's fact. There was a different standard then. they had different, even for a college radio station, they yeah. had different standards in 1970. And it just, it's just amazing. Oh, and then do you remember the mobile units? You know, like the on-the-scene mobile units? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, they had mobile units, and I actually listened on the Kent State website. Um, they had the mobile unit recordings, and I thought, man, this is like Russia. I can't believe this is happening in Kent, Ohio in 1970. Well, they Nixon had the was president, you know. <laughs> right, and they had the mo- they had the mobile unit recording at this time. Mm-hmm. The state highway patrol in Portage County, Ohio, stopping the mobile units because those guys were violating curfew at that time because Mayor uh, Satrum had put a curfew on, and you can hear them getting pulled out of the car and you know talking uh, about police brutality. And it's, yeah. it's, this is why I'm an, this is why I'm an old radio enthusiast yeah, because uh, go ahead. I'm go sorry ahead. because finish your sentence because my thought is. That's how history is learned. If you can actually listen to it in real time and unfiltered, that's how you understand it. And then you're thinking, wow, it kind of puts you right in there, even though you weren't there. Plus, being where I'm from, I know people who were actually at that event. So I have that luxury of hearing people who were actually affected by it. It's important stuff, you know, and and we used to have, there used to be these standards. Kurt, thank you for the call. Will in Orlando, Florida. Hey, Will, thanks for watching us on Facebook Live. What's up? 
Oh, not much, Tom. Yeah, no, this is a subject that I've been talking about for decades now. And the reality of the situation is, you know, while Clinton had gotten rid of the requirement of local ownership, it was also Reagan that had blown up the FCC. Right. And in right 87. Time, yeah. Right. In 87. But, you know, I think it was 83 or 84 where the news program 2020 was the very first news program to ever actually make a profit. And since then, news has gotten further and further away from the truth and has become more of an entertainment factor. I think, personally, that we need to bolster the FCC and we need to start requiring that news organizations tell the truth at least 50 percent of the time. And there's not a single news organization out there. <laughs> That's a fairly that low bar, Will. That. I know. Well, I know. Well, I, but here's where it gets absurd. At 50 percent, there's still not a single news organization on the planet that, that meets that standard. Yeah. At 50 percent. So we could start there and start to move it forward. You know, I don't know necessarily if the fair, fairness doctrine is, is really going to solve anything, because as it is, we have news organizations that put a dozen talking heads on the screen, and they all say a bunch of nonsense. I think there needs to be a check on reality, so that when one of these talking heads starts lying, blatantly lying, they're called out for it and, and, and removed from the program. Here's the problem now, with this, Will. If you're going to require radio and television stations, for example, and I mean, we could extend this to, to websites or newspapers or whatever, but if you're going to require anybody to tell the truth by law, who gets to decide what the truth is? Well, I, I would like to think that it be based on facts and, and provable evidence. You Who's know, the facts? same standards that... Well, I mean, I mean, look at the last you, you 40 at, years up until uh, up until about a decade ago, there was a so-called fact-based debate about global warming. Well, that, you know, that's partly that is true. But if the if the if the anti-argument for like global warming, for instance, is just basically hearsay and nothing that's scientifically proven, then a person shouldn't be allowed to go on a television station or a radio station or a newspaper and make claims. I mean, you, you know, the, the latest evidence shows that vaccines do not cause autism, yet you still have people out there that are echoing the rumor that autism is caused by vaccines. Right. And anytime they have anybody on a television show or a radio show who says that, it just simply reinforces that idea. Even if the person on the television is proven wrong, it reinforces this untrue statement I think that the news industry, you know, the news industry is, is protected by the Constitution for a reason, not entertainment. And I think that there needs to be more requirements from our government and the FCC to require stations, news organizations to report actual news. And whatever the Kardashians are wearing this week is not news. It shouldn't be on TV. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm looking at somewhat less dr dr draconian solutions, because if we set up a Department of the Truth in the federal government and Donald Trump becomes president again, you know where that's going to go. Well, so yeah, what I'm like saying is if, if, if you've the, got competition, US, yes. if, you, if you bring well, back competition, if you, if you bring back local ownership of the media, I think you'll accomplish the same thing. Hopefully, hopefully. But yeah. yeah, we can certainly start there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Hey, thanks, Tom. Well, thanks for day. the call. Yeah, good, good ramp. Thank you. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, 
The more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Remember Reno 911, the old Comedy Central uh, mockumentary <laughs> play on the old cop shows? Well, they're reprising, they're bringing the, the gang back to go uh, track down QAnon. It's, it's, there's an article about it and the, um, the trailer, the tease for the show is over at uh, Raw Story right now, if you're curious. So anyhow, let's pick up your phone calls here. Bob in San Jose, California. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind today? Well, I go back to the early days of magnetic tape and radio, and and you may remember this: a machine, a machined aluminum block on the tape cut, tape head cover of an Ampex reel-to-reel machine. I'm sorry, say it again. That machined aluminum. You remember seeing a machined aluminum block on mounted on the head cover of a of a reel-to-reel tape recorder? I do. That machined aluminum block was designed for splicing tape, but it also was designed for editing tape. Yes. It was made by a company called the Editol Company. Yeah, I used I to do that. We would, we would slice the tape with a razor blade, and then we put it back together with this little white tape that, that uh, held it together and allowed it to, you know, yeah, I remember it well. Correct. Correct. You remember it well. The point I'm getting to is that that was a, uh, when you go out and record a news story, and then you bring it back to the station, you, you end up having to shorten it and, 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 uh, because you don't have uh, 15 minutes to tell one story. Right. So you're selecting the words that people will see and hear. Uh, and with video today, you can even do that. You can take syllables out of words. Right. And that's the problem is who decides what words in what order. I agree. And, and that, that can bias a story considerably. I agree. Only, and, and only the people who participated can catch that and realize, wait a minute, that's not what really happened. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I am not calling for a Department of Truth in any government, because, you know, who, who defines what truth is? But I do think that if we were to go back, if we were to undo the ownership provisions of the 1996 Telecommunications Act prior to 1996, you, a, an individual corporation or family could not own a radio station, a television station, and a newspaper in the same state. 
They could not own, or in the same city, uh, they could not own multiple, you know, uh, there was a limit. I think it was 10 or 20 radio stations within a state or a region. Um, they couldn't own multiple television stations. So you had all this local ownership and you had diffuse ownership of radio and TV stations and newspapers. And the result was that we had a news ecosystem that was competitive and that was generally honest. I mean, that was one of the things that, that, that uh, organizations competed on. Now that you've got, you know, three or four companies that own probably 90% of all the radio stations in the United States, you know, a handful of companies that own most of the television stations, and, and uh, you know, and social media, I mean, you know, Facebook is the largest provider of news in the entire United States, and it's one single corporation owned by a cranky right-wing billionaire. Um, we got a problem. And I think breaking them up is what is, what's, is, is a part of the solution, Bob. I, I agree, but I think there's another little piece you have to consider, and, and that is that when you look at a newsroom, you're looking at a staff of lots of people. You know, a typical typical TV station might have two people go out, one holding the camera, one standing in front of it, and and then they come back and, and edit the thing, and, and it becomes a, a, a two-minute or minute-and-a-half story that gets right. put into the evening news. Well... Rupert Murdoch, back in about 2000, with a cable thing called Fox News, eliminated a lot of the reporting and had and hired retired generals and admirals and people like that to sit around a, a coffee table. And pontificate. And, and yeah. it's all opinion all the time. That was much cheaper. You're right. You, it, it, you know, and that grew out of reality TV, on. actually, Bob, That and which came out of a, out of a strike back in the... Was it the late '80s, early '90s? I think it was in the in the '90s, um, where you know there was the writers' strike in Hollywood, and so in yeah. response to that, uh, the the network started programming reality TV, and then in, and then that was so successful that the news organization started doing this thing, which has now become normal, which is where the the host, and this is what they do. This is how you can tell a strong host from a weak host, right? This is Rachel Maddow, for example, is a very very strong host, you, and she never does this. Um, uh, Nicole Wallace, on the other hand, a fairly weak host, um, she'll present a news story and then she'll bring on three people to discuss it for the next 15 minutes. And that's that cheap programming that you're talking about. And it also takes the pressure off the host to carry the entire show. Well, but, but see, Murdoch forced this on the industry. People in their homes with cable TV, and they can remotely change channels. As they're changing channels, some of those channels are over-the-air TV stations that, that, that are distributed by the cable company. Others of those channels never were over the air, but they came by satellite, Fox News being one of those. And, and the advertisers you know, who want to advertise in that cable system can only really place their ads in the cable channels. They can't replace ads in an over-the-air TV station. Right. And so what happened was Fox News got a lot of the advertising because they were cheaper. Oh, and and, the, and that dro that caused over-the-air TV stations to literally close a lot of bureaus and things. So they literally are now mostly over, you know, mostly all opinion all the time. Yeah. And, and yeah. Rupert Murdoch killed off real reporting. I think that's largely ways. true. And 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 uh, as a follow-up to that, Bob, you might want to just uh, uh, plug into your favorite uh, search engine. Mine is DuckDuckGo. Rupert Murdoch is the cancer at the heart of Australian democracy, and Kevin Rudd, R-U-D-D, -D, the former prime minister of Australia. That's the title of a piece that he wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald, which is uh, easy, easily found. And he lays, he just indicts 
uh, Murdoch and the family for what they did to Australia, then what they did to the United Kingdom, and then what they did to the United States, becoming billionaires, multi-billionaires in the process. Bob, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. It's great to hear from an old radio guy who, uh, who knows what's, what was going on. Two quick stories. Number one, Ellen Ratner, when she ran Talk, Talk Radio News Service, remember they used to come on our show every day and do the news. The, the company no longer exists, and Ellen is kind of retired. But um, they trained interns, literally from all over the world. They'd come to the United States. And one time she asked me to speak to a group of interns and you know who were in our studio. There was a half a dozen of them. They were doing a little mock uh, television program. And, and I, w- I was listening to their on-the-air program in which they were discussing news, and one of them was telling the others what they had learned in, in journalism school that day, which was that you have to pick stories that people want to hear. Because if people are seeing things on the news that they don't want to see or they don't want to hear, that they're not interested in, they'll tune away and the station will lose advertising revenue. And I'm like, that should not be your metric. Your metric should be what is important whether people want to hear it or not. And they were like, oh, no, you can't do that. This you know, the, the, so number one. And number two, um, when, uh, when I first moved to Portland back in 2000, whatever the year was, maybe you remember, Sean, um, we were doing, and this is, Sean was working with me, it was like 2005 or thereabouts, and I was doing a local show on the local uh, Clear Channel station, KPOJ, which is part of a five-station pod, and we had, what, a, at least a dozen people in the, in the newsroom, Sean? I mean, you were there. It was at least a dozen who were working news in, on a 24-hour cycle. And, and then Mitt Romney's company, Bain Capital, came in and bought Clear Channel. And by the time we left that station, there was one guy, one guy in the newsroom. And only during the, the you know, kind of office hours things. So, anyhow, end of rant. Uh, I've, I've still got a board full of callers here. I'll pick up your calls right after this. Here are the Todd Hartman program. It's our truth defense, right? I mean, what was the old phrase? Truthiness? Is that Stephen Colbert? I think. Yeah. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's talk media for the rest of us. Maverick in Edmonds, Washington. Hey, Maverick. WGN? Hey, Tom. Yeah, and happy birthday. Let me be the first. My, um, it's not my birthday. <laughs> well, I know. Somebody beat me to happy holidays, so I got, oh, okay. I got them there. Happy holidays. Uh, yeah, I grew, up, I grew up in Chicago, and that was a, there was in that city, there was a radio station that was WGN. They also owned Channel 9, which was a local television station, and back in the 70s when I was a kid, there were only four stations, I think, in the city, except for a couple of obscure ones on the very high frequency. Mm-hmm. And they also own the Chicago Tribune. And that's why WGN is WGN. It stood for World's Greatest Newspaper. And it was before that law that said that you couldn't own all of them. So they were yeah. kind of... They were grandfathered in. in, though. I mean, that went back to the 20s. And the, these laws were put into yeah. place in the 30s. Right, right. And I, I didn't know if you were aware of that. And I, I've heard this subject brought up 
you know, on occasion over the last five years that yeah. I've been listening, and I just wanted to. I was only vaguely aware that. of and, it, but I'll take your word for it, and, Maverick. But and here's a, an interesting little, very quick story about WGN is they had a radio transmitter tower that was a hundred thousand watts of effective radiated power, which is huge. Yeah, and that's the, the so top of the limit for Clear Channel. <laughs> yeah. I used to work for Clear Channel. I don't want to talk. No, I mean, it. I mean, for oh. there used to be a category called Clear Channel stations, and they were they were called these were the bottom third of the of the AM band, and it was because they would blow out such a big signal that you couldn't have other stations on that channel that might interfere with it. And that therefore they were called oh, right. Clear Channel stations, and typically they maxed out at fifty thousand watts. I forgot about that. Well, this 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 uh, this station was so powerful that I knew people. Uh, that had chain link fences like cyclone fencing in their backyards in the western suburbs of Chicago that you could sometimes hear the radio station on oh the fence <laughs> and it was and and that's it's also why um why there's Cubs fans in Alaska and there are to this day because wow. that station was so powerful that at night when AM would bounce off the atmosphere and back down the earth you could listen to Cubs games in Fairbanks yeah well, that's like, you know, uh, Alan Berg, the progressive talk radio host who was murdered by the skinheads. Uh, you know, this was before before Limbaugh, talk radio was progressive in America. And, and yeah. he was on this huge station in Denver that was blowing a signal Denver, over right. 27 states. And uh, same deal, you know, it was a clear channel station, not the company, but the, but the designation, the FCC designation. Good one. Yeah, uh, cool. Yes. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you, Ma Maverick. Good to hear from you. And oh, I, I see I only have 27 seconds. It wouldn't be fair to somebody to put him on with that little time. So uh, let me just say, I, I continue to believe that this is, you know, what, what our callers are talking about is the, the, the era before the Telecommunications Act of 1996, which did two really terrible things. Number one, it eliminated the ownership caps on radio, television, and newspapers and the local ownership requirements. It eliminated those. And number two, it gave immunity to organizations like Facebook in, with regard to content so that, you know, if, if outrageous content was on their platforms, they could not be held to account for it. That's called Section 230. And, there, you know, there's all these calls to revise Section 230, which I completely agree with. Even Facebook is saying now, please, you know, hold us responsible, please. We can't do it ourselves. We'll be right back. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. 
Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Sean in North Platte, Nebraska. Hey, Sean, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, how's your day? Good. No complaints. Hey, um, have we, I mean, I have talked to several of my progressive and Democratic friends about the news media. Fox News, One American News, and um, Newsmax are three things. But, I mean, I tell them, you know, MSNBC and CNN are not your friends either. I mean, look at, look at how um, they told Ed Schultz not to cover the Bernie campaign back in 2006. They fired and him over it. Yep. Uh-huh. I, you know, Ed, I was know a, Ed was a good friend of mine. I, 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 you know, I, I tracked that whole story. I mean, I was hearing it from Ed yeah. himself. Yes. Yeah. And like for another example, like you had some of your other call, callers calling about reality TV show, you know, NBC will put on duck. I mean, uh, put on um, the Kardashians and Fox News will put on Duck Dynasty to take people's eyes off the ball. Well, I think they're doing it to make money. You know, frankly, yeah. Sean, I mean, I, I, I don't think that uh, NBC uh, is uh, being programmed for ideological reasons. The reason that MSNBC sure. has uh, as many progressive hosts as they do, and they've got uh, a couple of particularly good ones. Um, I think, you know, Chris Hayes and Rachel Maddow do a good job in the evening um, is because it makes money. There's a market niche. There's an unserved market opportunity there that NBC is picking or you know through through MSNBC is has picked up and that you know that's an indication of what happens when you have competition in a marketplace is and in this case the cable marketplace is that you know there's there's an opportunity for multiple points of view but uh you know it's at the end of the day what they're looking at is their profits i you know i get it the ed schultz thing also uh, the same thing with Cenk uger uh, also tried out, you know, he was on MSNBC for a while and he, he was too progressive for them, I think, you know, in my opinion. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I. There's several of them. There's several of them I can mention, but I don't, I probably don't have time. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, I get it. And, and so we just have to be wise consumers of our media. Sean, thank you for the call. And thanks for, the, for pointing that out. Tim in Rockville, Maryland. Hey, Tim, what's up? Hi. Thanks, Tom, for taking the call. Sure. Um, I, I'm going to go back to your original rant. Um, and um, the undertone of the lack of truth um, today. And I'll lay the blame at Congress's feet. And this is from conversations directly with Congressman Raskin and his staff and and recommending after alt fact became uh, an issue that they get on that quickly uh, due to the impact it could have to the culture of the federal government. And we went back and forth and we we've gone back and forth over this and my contention is that it's an issue of disruption not taking away their first amendment rights um, what is an issue no, of disruption what's the it you're talking about? not telling the truth oh i see for okay. example let me give you an example well i told him a big, I, I told him a lie was going to eventually be something that was going to really cause them serious problems and the big lie did yeah. Um, and, and what I've recommended is that they build into the oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And in addition, a spelled out three um, progressive discipline for those who don't. Let me give you an example. Marjorie Taylor Greene calling a fellow uh, congressperson a, um, a jihadist. Yeah. She should be held accountable to 
prove her sources before she goes public and feeds the media. This is a trickle down. Trump's trickle down legacy is he trickled down the lack of truth, all facts. Oh, yeah. Uh, where Reagan's trickle down. He was down. a professional was, liar. It's how he made his living. He was a professional liar, and he taught everybody else that they could be professional liars as well. So my, my point being is if Congress doesn't get serious about this and do something about their own telling untruths and feeding the, the untruth market, um, we're never going to get our arms around this. Yeah. Look what they did with the Radio Frequency Act. Was it 1927 or 19? There were, there uh, were three of them between, between 24 yeah, and yeah. 36, I think. They, there was a lot of attempts to stop and sort of control, and, and out of it came the fairness doctrines that yes. you've referenced and so forth. And so, also the, so uh, is, the prime time rule, ultimately that came along in the 50s, as I recall. Right. And, right. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. All I'm saying is all fact bill uh, should just hold a, a elected officials accountable for provable. I mean, something that can be proven immediately. Well, this should be the job of the media, Tim. I well, mean, you know, and, 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 and frankly, I think the media has done a pretty good job of ex exposing Lauren Boebert as a bigot and a fraud. I agree. But my point being is that it's trickled. The longer the government continues to get away with it, the more. You don't mean the government. You mean people in the government, elected officials. People in the government. Right. Yes, correct. Individuals that are not managed. I'm, I'm a former employee relations director and, and HR uh, senior executive of major corporations. I had to stop situations like this. And it can be done. That's all I can say. Thanks, yeah, Tom. it can be done. Yeah, I'm with you. Tim, thank you very much. Uh, accountability seems to be one of the things that is is lacking. Although the January 6th committee and some of the investigations by Congress give me some hope. Um, anyhow, we'll continue the conversation. We're going to talk about mental health in the United States and COVID and the relationship with Lynn Paramore right after this. Joe in Longview, Washington. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Hey, Joe. Uh, I know you're an advocate for small-town newspapers and supporting those newspapers? I am. I subscribe to mine. In fact, I subscribe to two of them here in Portland, to Willamette Week and to uh, uh, the Oregonian. Here in Longview, we have the Longview Daily News, which is owned by Lee Enterprises. Is that Thomas Lee, uh, the, the, the yeah. venture capital guy? Okay. Yeah, I think it's, I think they have at least 75 newspapers around the country. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that the um, editorial pages and the news slants to the right quite a bit. We're in a more rural, maybe to please their rural subscribers or their owner, but, uh, or their owner. And but I'm I'm a we're sus subscribers and we pay our subscriptions. Uh, we live in Cowlitz County, mm -hmm. which was when I moved here 30 years ago was blue collar and strongly democratic. And now, now we have all Republican representatives in the in Washington State um, House and the Senate. In fact, our uh, state representative Jim Walsh um, just was uh, was uh, 
caught wearing a Star of David on his coat as a persecuted person because, you know, he, he equates the vaccine mandates to uh, what happened during the Holocaust. Right. Uh, yeah. So you've got a right wing crazy representing you there, Joe. So what's your question? Well, the question is, and here's the dilemma. How do I support the local newspaper when they seem to be slanted toward the right? I'm paying them, I'm paying money out of my pocket to help. I mean, I write letters to the editor and all that, but I'm not sure, you know, if that... That was going to be my suggestion. I mean, I, I think that basically that's the only alternative. We want to keep these local newspapers alive. There's also a new local newspaper here in Portland. It's called The Scanner, S-K-A-N-N-E-R. And I, you know, I, I get this in email it's regularly. It's, it, it, it's, uh, it has a, a particular focus on the black community in Portland. And it's a very progressive newspaper. I, I, you know, you look for opportunities to support them. And even if you've got a local newspaper that's owned by, you know, one of these, you know, billionaires or one of these vulture capital firms or whatever, you can still, as a subscriber, typically, you can still write letters to the editor. You can still get your message out there and you can let them know your your opinion of their editorial opinion. But, uh, you know, I, 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 the Oregonian, I don't believe, is owned by a left winger or a left wing company it used to be a company it used to be a uh, you know a, a company out of new york i think that they got bought out again and uh but you know i, I don't see an alternative joe uh you know uh, other than starting a newspaper yourself so i i would just keep keep up with the the writing the letters to the editors you know and beyond that i i, I don't know what you can do Joe, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. John in Niles, Michigan. Hey, John, thanks for listening to WCPT. What's up? Yeah, Tom, uh, did you happen to see the Ohio State-Michigan game? I did not. Past, uh, you, you know, I'm sure that uh, you saw pictures after the game where 100-plus thousand fans were on the field, probably within a foot of each other. That had to be the big, one of the biggest super spreader events in uh, world history wow yeah and i didn't anyway, i didn't see it but i you know i think don't aren't most of these teams now i mean is, this this was this was an nfl game right no university of michigan and oh, so this uh, is college State. football so so yeah. they uh, you know the nfl is requiring vaccine to get into most stadiums aren't they uh, are the college uh, groups doing this yeah, yeah, you know Aaron Rodgers uh, missed uh, the game against. Um, oh yeah, he you know he lied, was, but I mean for fans, don't you have to show vaccine status to get into the stadium in the first place? I, I'm not really sure. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah, because I know but, that they're doing that with, with some stadiums and some they're not, and you know I just didn't know it. Yeah, and the, the other thing I want to talk about uh, is uh, the you know anti-science, anti-medicine mode. I think all of that, you know, the, the advent of Fox, uh, Fox News, uh, which was created by Richard Nixon and Roger Ailes some, what, 35, 40 years ago, yeah, that has created, yeah. created such a negative impact on the country to the point where we're almost headed for a civil war. And I just, uh, and I, I'm frankly, I'm very concerned that if Trump is allowed to run again, even if he doesn't win with all these new state election laws, that he that they will overturn the election, and uh, and Trump will be allowed to win. But if he does win, I think it's going to be something similar to uh, Hitler 
where, uh, you know, the Reichstag fire, uh, and uh, he'll declare martial law and shut down the media and uh, God knows what. Yeah. I, I I share your concern, John. I absolutely do. I, I I think probably Orban, Viktor Orban in Hungary is a closer an, analogy. But you know, Hitler uh, based his the basis of Hitler's popularity was his trashing uh, mostly Jews, but uh, you know also uh, communists and socialists, and you know just basically yeah. scapegoating people. And that's what Donald Trump has done his whole entire life. So uh, the yeah, analogy. Yeah, Don- He's an extreme uh, narcissist and an author- authoritarian, as you've mentioned. Yeah. Uh, very much, you know, he's not anti-Semitic. He's kind of more like uh, Mussolini. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm very concerned about I've even thought about going to Canada because I'm very concerned uh, that it wasn't so much Hitler, but Hitler's henchmen that yeah. uh, did all the dirty work. Oh, and, yeah, and, yeah. and the brown shirts and whatnot. The problem with Canada, John, is that Canada doesn't want us. It's getting harder and harder to get there. But, John, thank you for the call. Good to hear from you. Rick in Queen Creek, Arizona. Hey, Rick, what's on your mind today? Yes, I was. I I give to PBS. I have for years. And just the other day, during their pledge, uh, I heard the president of PBS declare that they were a private corporation. And that just struck me as, hold it. Well, they It's a federally chartered private corporation. Um, there's a few of those. Amtrak is another one, um, uh, and maybe the post office. I'm not sure. I'm I'm pretty sure not. But you know, there's a, there's a few of these federally chartered private corporations. Um, actually, go ahead. I recall under George W. Bush that the federal funding that used to go into PBS was removed yeah i know it was down to seven percent of their funding at one point and and there was a point where i heard that they were going to cut it to zero i it wouldn't surprise me if they have done that i i'm sorry i'm, I'm not an expert on pbs i you know i listen to my local oregon public broadcasting station they do a nice job you know but uh, that's yeah you know well, but here's the thing is i've been noticing that that the, their news hour is falling apart and and, and you hear the the right-wing chatter on PBS, and you know, well, it's you always been the case. I mean, they, 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 they. For I, I remember back in the '80s and '90s, going nuts because they would go to the Heritage Foundation to get an opinion. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to bring. William that up F. Buckley's show was on PBS. <laughs> I want. Uh, I loved William Buckley's show, but they always had a a, a limp. A uh, person from the other side. Yeah, at least some 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 atten- some uh, pretense of of objectivity. Yeah, I you know I'm not ready to bash PBS. I, I you know I, uh, it's uh, you know uh, I, it's it's tough. It's tough to run a nonprofit uh, uh, radio or television business, and and they're doing it. And they figured out a way to do it without any federal support or with very minimal federal support. You know I would I would like to see my perspective presented more on PBS, but I'm sure that there are people on the right, I think they, who would say the same thing for their side. I, I think that generally speaking, they, they take it down the middle. I, you know, I occasionally just go nuts, you know, uh, <laughs> upset with them for what they're doing. But anyway, Rick, I got to move along. Thanks for the call.
Our book today is Playing with Fire, the 1968 Election and the Transformation of American Politics by Lawrence O'Donnell. The first chapter, Seizing the Moment, it starts in 1968. Richard Nixon was in a makeup chair when he met Roger Ailes. Maybe it was the makeup chair that set Ailes off. He was looking at the man who might have been president right now if he had just sat in the makeup chair CBS offered him in Chicago before the first televised presidential debate in American history. Nixon had ignored the network's makeup artist and used a drugstore product called Lazy Shave to cover his heavy five o'clock shadow. Nixon once said, I can shave within 30 seconds before I go on television and still have a beard. The day after the debate, the Chicago Daily News ran the headline, Was Nixon Sabotaged by TV Makeup Artist? Uh, Richard Daly, the all-powerful Democratic mayor of Chicago, said, My God, they've embalmed him even before he died. Nixon lost the election to John F. Kennedy by two-tenths of one percent of the vote, 49.7 percent to 49.5 percent. In an election that close, every mistake matters. A mistake like not getting the makeup right was the kind of thing that infuriated Roger Ailes. Now, seven years later, Ailes was meeting Nixon for the first time in the makeup room of the Mike Douglas show. At age 26, Ailes looked like an assistant, but he was the boss, the executive producer of the show. And Nixon was once again a presidential candidate in what was beginning to look like a crowded field covering the 1968 Republican nomination. Ailes wanted Nixon to be president, and he knew the most powerful force blocking Nixon's path to the White House was television. To win the White House in the 1960s, you had to understand and respect the power of television. Ailes also knew that one of Nixon's potential rivals for the Republican nomination understood everything about television, Ronald Reagan, the former film and TV actor. Ailes wondered what Nixon had learned about TV since the makeup disaster of the 1960 campaign. Sitting in the makeup chair, Nixon offhandedly mentioned to Ailes how silly it felt to try to reach voters by appearing on an afternoon talk show like this one instead of a news show like Meet the Press. The Mike Douglas show is targeted at housewives and usually populated by B-list showbiz celebrities. In response, Ailes instantly rattled off a list of every bad move Nixon had ever made on TV, and it was a long list. Ailes was a teenager when he'd seen some of these things. This was not the way people talked to former Vice President Richard Milhouse Nixon. There was none of the deference Nixon had become accustomed to over the decades, and Nixon loved it. Nixon made Ailes an offer he couldn't refuse. Instead of trying to make Mike Douglas America's biggest afternoon TV star, make Richard Nixon America's next president. With Ailes on the media team, the Nixon campaign was ready to make the move from being the worst TV campaign to the best. We're going to build this whole campaign around television, Nixon told his media team. You boys just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Roger Ailes' career in Republican politics, which included every day he ran Fox News, turned out to be longer than Richard Nixon's. Ailes became more influential in Republican politics than Nixon ever was. We have reason to wonder who would be president today if Richard Nixon had not provoked Roger Ailes in the Mike Douglas show makeup room. Such are the seeds that were planted in American politics in the 1968 presidential campaign. Run, Bobby, run is the subhead for the next part of this. Bobby was a natural on television. In 1967, he was the only potential presidential candidate who could charm a TV audience just by being himself. All he needed was his smile. Bobby was the Elvis of American politics, the only politician who didn't need a last name to identify him. But his last name was everything. It was Bobby Kennedy's last name that made every potential candidate fear him. As the field of candidates began to take shape in 1967, every campaign calculation depended on Bobby, even when he showed no signs of wanting to run, even when he told people he wasn't going to run. President Lyndon Baines Johnson feared Bobby to the point of obsession. Johnson thought Bobby was the only one who could do the unthinkable. 
challenged the incumbent president's grip on the Democratic nomination. Johnson was sure that Bobby was the only Democrat who might dare run against him. He was wrong. Nixon feared Bobby, too, as did every Republican planning a campaign. Nixon knew exactly what to fear. He had lost to a Kennedy before. Losing to a Kennedy meant losing to the Kennedy political machine, and it meant losing it to the Kennedy style. A political machine can be beaten by a better political machine, though Nixon had never seen a better political machine than the Kennedys. Kennedy's style was something else. Nixon knew there was nothing Ailes could do for his image that could compete with Kennedy's style. Nixon couldn't change his sharply receding hairline. At 54, he was too old to do anything but tamp down his short, dark hair as flat as possible on his head. Bobby's hair had grown longer every year of the 1960s. Now at 42, he had the shaggiest hair in the United States Senate. His little brother Ted was the only other senator with a full head of hair. Bobby's hair was beginning to grow over his ears, rock musician length for the Senate then. And everywhere Bobby spoke outside the Senate chamber, he was treated like a rock star. That's what Nixon and Johnson feared most about Bobby, the way the crowds responded to him. They'd never seen anything like it in politics. Nixon and Johnson were both old enough to remember the first time anyone saw fans screaming and swooning for Frank Sinatra in the 1940s before, during, and after every song Sinatra sang. America saw an even more intense version of that fan reaction when the Beatles landed in the United States in 1964. And now Nixon and Johnson saw a version of it happening to Bobby. Everywhere Bobby went, crowds worked themselves into frenzies. When he spoke, he didn't sound like any senator they'd heard before. His voice wasn't stiff and self-conscious. The book Playing With Fire by Lawrence O'Donnell. And welcome back. Jerry in DeLand, Florida. Or is it DeLand, Florida? How do you say that, Jerry? DeLand, DeLand. DeLand. Hey, what's up? Whatever way you want to. Okay. Bill Maher had an interview with a Richard Ojeda, O-J-E-D-A. He's got a book out, No Democrat Left Behind. Mm -hmm. But he's also a social media expert. And he spelled out what these algorithms are doing to the human psyche, how those people that are feeding on it. And They're the making technology us crazy. is going faster than the human psyche can go. Yes. So the worse it gets, they click on something bad, they send them something worse. Exactly. So it heads them down a path. What'd you, I'm sorry, what'd you just say? I said exactly. It's called increasing engagement or stickiness in the, in the business. I think he used that very time. I got lost a couple of times during the interview because it was so deep. Yeah. He, was, he really is an incredible expert. You really ought to watch it. And it explains what these people are out there doing, going crazy, because they're being fed, they're isolated, and they're being fed this, this stuff that's making their... Right, and, and it starts out it. often with very innocuous stuff. So, you know, somebody is searching for information about, uh, for example, the Republican Party. And so they're 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 hit with you know they hit a Facebook page that's that's just for the Republican Party right. and then oh well if you're interested in that then here's the here's a Facebook page for the Trumpy part of the Republican Party so you click on that and and then and then oh and if you're interested in that here's a Facebook page for the part of the Trumpy part of the Republican Party that thinks that COVID isn't real and then you click on that and then you get oh if you like that then here's a Facebook page for the Trumpy part of the Republican Party that doesn't think COVID is real but does think ivermectin will cure it and you click on that. And pretty soon you're in full blown, blown crazy land. Yep. And you started out wondering, hey, is my Republican congressman going to vote for this bill? So is the technology going too fast for us? That's the question. Is it going? Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's it's, 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 it's crazy. That, so we I need mean, to 
I mean, it used all. to be it used to be if you read your newspaper in the morning, you know, back when newspapers were delivered to our houses, and you'd occasionally read a column by a right wing columnist, say Charles Krauthammer, you know, he's passed away now, but uh, you know, or William F. Buckley or something, and they'd make some crazy right wing claim. And if you wanted to learn more, you'd have to like call your local John Birch Society and say, can I come to a meeting? Can I come over and pick up some literature? And then you get on their mailing list and then they send you something. I mean, eventually you could get to crazy land, but it might take a year. And during the yeah. process, you know, that you would hit a whole bunch of opportunities to check out and say, wait a minute, this is crazy land. But not with social media. No, all that entire process that used to take a year or two can take place in less than five minutes. Right. And, and I work with a guy who's in this kind of crazy land. I stood with him for 20 minutes, and he was spelling out all these things that he believes about the vaccines and all that. And we stood there and looked at the websites like the CDC and what have you, and it was all false. And yet he walked away still believing those crazy things. You can't reason with an unreasonable person. It's impossible. Well, you can't reason with somebody who believes that they're right. And who you know who believes yeah, the information? Yeah, and isn't that unreasonable? If well, arguably yes, but you know, I mean, you know, I'm not going to change my opinions either. I mean, we're, I think we're all you know, once we believe that what we are believing is true, it's really hard to move us off it, and that's right. the problem, Jerry. You know, whether it's right or wrong, um, you know, and then and then we start then you get into confirmation bias. We start looking for data that confirms our perspective rather than stuff that might contradicted. Jerry, thank you for the call. Pat in Orange, California. Hey, Pat, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. So my issue is with the media mm -hmm. and the fact that they will not ask any of these representatives about the, their donors. They just won't yeah. do it. They get, a, they get a microphone in their face and they refuse to ask them about it. I think it's absolutely intentional. And I think that the only way to change this, because I feel like Horton hears a who here. We can't get through to them, right? <laughs> okay. So Horton, I, I really I feel it. like we need to have the um, the progressive caucus people who they're putting microphones in their face call out the media. Yeah. They need to call out the media and say, look, man, how come you're not asking these questions? Is this a difficult thing to figure out that this guy in New Jersey you know, is getting more money from these equity firms than anybody else, and you won't ask him. They right. need to ask the media why they're not doing their job. Well, and if they if they consider that like personal information that's just too private to discuss on television, why don't they at least say, okay, the three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation bill is one hundred percent paid for by closing tax loopholes. Which tax loopholes do you object to closing? I, I, I agree. But the question is, why is the media not doing this? I think it's totally intentional. I think they're doing it because they don't want to call out these people. They know what it is. They're not stupid. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And they figured this out, and they really refuse to point well, this there's, out. Well, there's this so thing about they don't, you know, there's, there's this fear on the part of a lot of media figures that if they ask hard questions that they'll get blackballed by you know politicians who don't want hard questions asked of them and I'm that's, not even buying that I'm not buying it. that well that, you know that but that's real true. Pat I can tell you I'm in the I business believe it's real. and, I believe and it's real. it shouldn't be 
that's you right. know if you're going to call out the media you know and this is this is what brian stelzer does you know on sunday mornings god bless him and and occasionally you get a few other you know people saying hey wait a minute why aren't you asking this and i you know and i think that I, you know spot on pat i gotta run but thank you valerie in hampshire illinois hey valerie what's on your mind today hi tom just wanted to tell you that crazy town radio is alive and well in rural america my family we lived in illinois who was moderate Republicans. My parents and brothers moved to Idaho in the 80s. We would go out there and visit, and they would have crazy radio blaring from their machine shed. Right we just talk. thought it was, yes. And so my husband would go and turn it off when nobody was watching. And lo and behold, they have not believed in this vaccination. And my 86-year-old mother who had dementia didn't get vaccinated. Oh no. My brother my brother caught COVID and gave it to my mother and she died last week. Oh I'm so sorry um, to hear that, Valerie. It's it's just unbelievable that they could do these you know, not we, we all got vaccinated for school right. when we were growing up right. and and for them to just be so ignorant and to Has your brother protect- owned this, Valerie? Does he feel like he had some role in your mother's death? You know, he won't talk to us, Tom. He hasn't talked to us in probably eight years. Um, I I think they're just they're just all crazy brainwashed. Yeah, it's not it's not so much crazy. I used that word on a person yesterday who called and said he wasn't going to be vaccinated. But it's like it's like being in a tribe or in a cult or cult, I think, is really the word. So. I mean, if one person could get vaccinated from this story, you know, maybe there would be some salvation for my mom. I don't know. It's it's really... Thank you, Valerie, for sharing that. And everybody, share Valerie's story. One story at a time, right? One person at a time. We're getting there. We're getting there. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 